We're studying this week the third chapter of the book of Jeremiah. And I want to direct your attention to verse 19. So if you have a Bible and you want to open it to Jeremiah 3, verse 19, I'm going to read it for you. Uh, but there's always a blessing to see it for yourself. Jeremiah 3.19, this is God speaking through Jeremiah. And he says, but I said, how shall I put thee among the children and give thee a pleasant land, a goodly heritage of the hosts of nations? And I said, thou shalt call me my father and shalt not turn away from me. Now, if you're a parent what God is saying through Jeremiah is going to be much more relevant. It's going to be more touching. And if you're not a parent, don't tune out. But I'm going to read this from another translation. I'm going to read this from the NIV because the language, I think, is a little bit more emphatic. So let me read this from another translation. Here's what it says. I myself said, how gladly would I treat you like my children and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation? I thought you would call me father and not turn away from following me. Now, if you go through the Bible, when God illustrates his relationship to his people, he'll use different illustrations, like different you know, ways to express that. Sometimes God refers to his people as like his wife. And sometimes he refers to them as a farmer, like he's, they're his vine that he planted. Other times he'll say that they're his flock, like his sheep, and he's the shepherd. But here God employs the imagery of a father with his children. And I can tell you, I can tell you that forever hallowed in my mind, is the relationship of a father to his children for two reasons. Number one, um, I had a father who loved me and I am a father and I have three children that I love very much. Now, I wanna tell you that as a father, there are not that many things that really hurt you except when maybe you, don't, you are not appreciated or when your kids um, ignore you. And, you know, the, the whole thing about like, you know, cause I remember when I was spanked, uh, when I was a child, my parents would give that, you know, the proverbial, this is gonna hurt me more than it does for you. But it was in Korean, but it was that basic idea. You know, this really hurts us more than it hurts you. But when, when, when I was disciplined, I remember thinking, to myself, like, I don't know how it can hurt you, but when you become a parent, when you become a father, and when your children disobey, especially if they ignore what you've told them again and again and again, that is probably more painful than anything else. Um, and this is a small glimpse of what God experienced when Judah turned away. If we apply this to us who are watching this, this is a small glimpse of what our heavenly father feels when we ignore or turn away from him. So I want you to try to, to assimilate that, that feeling into your mind. So think about your own children or you know, the pain that you might have caused your parents 
and just think in a small way, because obviously it's multiplied by the billions of people on the planet and for the eons, you know, the, the thousands of years that God has watched this, you know, unfold on planet Earth. And then you have, we have just a, a sampling of what God feels. Now, I know that if you listened to my last presentation, the breakup, Jeremiah spends a lot of time outlining how the relationship between God and Judah kind of fell apart. So I'm not going to rehash that. That's why, if you notice, I didn't start at the beginning of Jeremiah 3. I kind of skipped down to verse 19. But now we come to a very striking passage in Jeremiah 3. And I'll just tell you straight out, many commentators believe that this passage is, is like a turning point in the book. I'm going to read it for you. It's verse 21. Here's what it says. A voice was heard upon the high places, weeping and supplications of the children of Israel, for they have perverted their way and they have forgotten the Lord, their God. Now, this passage is very significant for two reasons. Number one, it's where the crying is heard. I'm going to read it to you from another translation again, because this is a little clearer. A cry is heard on the barren heights. Now, if you remember the history of Judah, they had this problem with setting up these idolatrous groves, but they didn't just do it anywhere. They did it in these high places. So now the Bible is saying that there's a sound of crying coming from these high places, but they're barren, okay? Now, this is not the cry of repentance. This is not, oh, we're, we've been so bad and, and we feel bad about it. No, not at all. Because the rest of the passage describes very clearly that they still have turned away from God and they have forgotten God altogether. So then the question comes, well, why are they crying? Now, years ago, years ago, um, when my sister and I were in school, um, my sister was an English major. So she's a physician now, but you know, in pre-med, you can choose, typically if a pre-med student will major in like biology or something like that, right? You know, cause it kind of segues right into, you know, the medicine, but not my sister. My sister said, I'm gonna be an English major you know, a pre-med English major. So she did that. And um, I remember she got really into T.S. Eliot. For those of you that, you know, may have kind of zonked out during your English classes in school, T.S. Eliot was a poet, but kind of very like, what's the word? Um, very like, uh, I, I think we could say he was kind of a very postmodern, very um, kind of uh, anti-institutional. And anyway, I'm probably not describing T.S. Eliot right, but the point is that his poems are kind of bleak. And my sister reminded me one day that like when I was trying to like tattle and get her in trouble to my parents, I was, I was like saying, you know, Helen is really into T.S. Eliot and that's bad. You know, my parents, like they had no idea what T.S. Eliot was, you know, but anyway, I'm going to read a poem by T.S. Eliot. It's called The Hollow Men. And it's just four lines. And I want to just read this to you. Actually, this is just four lines from this poem. It says, this is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. Not with a bang, but a whimper. Now, 
I know some of you might be positive, like, what, what did he read that for? What, what, like, what, why did he read that? Well, oftentimes we imagine that, you know, in its reckless course of forsaking God, people end up, you know, just annihilating themselves in this frenzy of, of you know, vice and sin. But T.S. Eliot kind of portrays it in a different way, that as the world kind of careens towards its destruction, people are like crawled up into this like fetal position, kind of like, um, what's the right word? They're, they're basically just in agony. They're, they're just helpless and despairing. Okay, and that's kind of the image that I wanted to convey, and that's why I'm just sharing this with you. Now, don't forget, Jeremiah 3.21, there's weeping heard in the high places. Why? Well, folks, it's because when you get away from God, like Judah did, the ultimate fate that you inherit is that you're miserable, you're unhappy. Life becomes gray, lackluster. It becomes meaningless. It becomes empty. And uh, I'm going to do a little part in this message today that's maybe a little bit of social commentary. So just know that this section of my message is my observation. And my observation is based on my upbringing, my past, my life experiences, and you know the things that I've been taught. So I think that America right now could best be described as being post-Christian. What does that mean? It means that we were never a, an officially church-state Christian nation. We, we, we were never that. But when America was founded, it was founded upon Christian principles, which served as like the bedrock for our democracy. But America today is not that anymore. And America now is a place where we have seen, especially in the last few weeks, um, we have seen travesties of justice, uh, racism. Uh, we've seen class wars, intolerance, uh, suffering. And we were at one point in human history, at one point, we were the beacon of hope and the standard of uh, justice and equity as a government. We were at one time that. But now, even as other nations do commentaries on the social climate in America, it's like we were once a war hero, but now our uniform just hangs and tatters on us and it's ragged and it's stained. And, you know, the glistening metals that might have stood, you know, been pinned to us, they're, you know, they're, they're dirtied and muddied. And, you know, it's sad because as I use this analogy, it's as if um, we've come so far away from our founding values, you know, and, and I won't go into everything, but, but I know you know that like we're kind of in a, a, a moral, like cesspool now and everything is just going downhill. And I'm not just saying that because of what's been happening on the news. By the way, for those of you that are interested after this is over, 
um, I'd like to get some feedback for you on how we as a church uh, can express our um, our um, discontent with the events that led to the death of uh, George Floyd. And of course, there have been other high profile cases of racism in the media as of late. But, you know, the, the, it's heartbreaking to see some of these happening right now around the country. And, and um, I'm sure you know that there are riots going on in major cities around our country right now. But see, this is what happens when you forsake God, you forsake those values that ultimately protect our happiness. And that's what happened to Israel in Jer uh, Judah. In Jeremiah 3, they're crying in the very high places where they worshiped idols. Why? Because after pursuing this course of rebellion against God, you know what? They found themselves unhappy. In other words, without God, life is just meaningless. It, it's pointless. And, and, you know, you can do your vacations and, you know, you can do all of your, um, your you know, your, your quests for wealth and fame and all of that. But without God, it ends up being meaningless. Uh, I'm reminded of this story of a young college student who went to his guidance counselor, who was a Christian. And so the young man was asked by the guidance counselor, so, you know, what do you want to do when you graduate? And he said, well, I, I want to get a good job. I want to get a high paying job. And so the guidance counselor said, and, and then what? And he said, well, then I guess I'll make a lot of money. And the guidance counselor said, and then what? And he said, well, he thought about it. And then he said, I guess I'll get married. And he said, then what? And then he said, well, I guess I'll, I'll have kids. And the guidance counselor asked, well, then what? And he said, well, I guess I'll watch my kids grow up. And then the counselor said, well, then what? And he said, well, I guess I will go on to retire. And then the guidance counselor said, and then what? And he said, I guess eventually I'll die. And then the guidance counselor asked, and then what? And the student didn't say anything. He was quiet. You know, I don't know if this is you, but sometimes we get so caught up in life, you know, in work, in, in family and all of these things. And those things aren't bad. But don't forget that when we miss the most key ingredient to finding a meaningful and purposeful life, which is God, when we leave that out, don't forget when we say, oh, Judah was worshiping Baal, idol worship, we think, how could they do that? An idol can be anything that you devote more attention and time to than God. So there are Christians that are still idol worshiping. It's just in the form of like an 85 inch flat screen TV with unlimited cable channels, you know, or there's people that are worshiping idols. It's just in the form of a, a cushy corporate job that has, you know, big benefits and, and, and paid vacations. Right. And, and again, I want to be careful because it's not my point to disparage every aspect of life. I just want to put things in perspective for you. Judah idol worship is existent today as we focus on things besides God more than God. Okay. And that anything can become an idol, right? Okay. So God has 
a cure. He has a solution. And I want to read that solution to you from the book of Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 22. Here's what God says. Return, you backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. Now, I read the whole chapter, Jeremiah 3. And if you read the whole chapter, not once, not twice, three times, three times God says in this chapter, return, return, return. Now, when you read Jeremiah, it's easy to think, wow, because God says, you know, I'm sending this judgment and I've caused this. And, and you think, man, where's the grace in all of this? Well, folks, it's right here. God has, has just outlined all of the problems with Judah. But in the midst of all of that, he says, look, just come back to me. I'll fix you. I will make you whole again. Just come back. You know, when I read that, it reminds me of a story that I heard a long time ago. Maybe you've heard it before, but it's one of the most touching stories that I remember. It's about a convict. He was about to be released from prison and he wrote to his family to let them know that he was gonna be released soon. And because of what he had done, because he, was, he had committed these crimes and had been in prison, it really brought a lot of shame on his family. And he was not even sure if they ever wanted to see him again because he'd written to them in prison, but he'd never received a reply in the mail. So in the last letter before being freed from prison, he wrote, I know that I've done many things wrong in the past and I've been an embarrassment to all of you. And I can understand if you never want to see me again, but I want to beg for your forgiveness. And when I'm going to be released, I'll be riding a train home that will pass by the farm. And if you're, if you're willing to forgive me, and if you're willing to see me again, could you just tie a white ribbon on the old apple tree that's by the railroad tracks behind our farm? And if I see the white ribbon, then I know that I can come home. And if not, then I won't get off on the stop and you'll never hear from me again. So his release date came and he got on the train and he was very nervous as the wheels rolled and as the tracks got <clears throat> closer and closer and as the train got closer and closer, I should say, he, he couldn't really bring himself to even look out the window. He just couldn't bear this thought of rejection. And so he was sitting next to someone and he told them the story. And he said, could you do something for me? Could you just look out the window and tell me if you see a white ribbon on the apple tree as we round this bend? So the convict bowed his head and he closed his eyes because he just couldn't look out the window. And then suddenly, the man on the train next to him, he started pushing him. He started touching. He said, hey, 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 get up, get up. Look, look, look out the window. You have to see this. And so as the convict opened his eyes and he looked up and then he stood up as he looked out the window, there was the apple tree and it was covered in white ribbons. 
not just one, but the whole tree, every existing branch basically was covered in white ribbons. He had been forgiven and he was coming home. And I want you to know, this is how God is. God doesn't care. He, he doesn't care what you've done. Uh, it doesn't matter if, you know, you, you were involved in, in a, a genocide or if, if you know, you, you were responsible for embezzling billions of dollars. It doesn't matter what you've done. God has given us the message that that apple tree covered in white ribbons was to give. He's given us his son to die in our stead, in our place. And I want you to know that God is, is taking the initiative to help us because he actually said in Jeremiah 3.22, I will heal your backslidings. Let, let, let me see if I can elaborate on that. God describes backsliding like a disease, you know, like, like, like getting the flu, okay? And look, I, years ago, I was in Denver. I was, I don't know how many of you have ever flown and transitioned in Denver, but it's a huge airport. I think, don't quote me, I think it's one of the largest, not the busiest, but one of the largest airports in the United States, if not the world. But while I was there, we were on a layover and I had my, my wife with me, my sons, and we were bored out of our minds. We ate all the food we had packed and we were playing chess to no end. And after a while, the kids were like, hey, I mean, we're bored, let's do something. So there were these huge walkways, you know, those moving walkways, and not an escalator, but a moving walkway. It basically gets you from one terminal to the other. But there's like six of them in a row, you know, there were little spaces so you can get off at your gate. And the boys decided, because the terminal was almost empty. I mean, we, we happened to be stuck on a connecting flight that I think we had like a six hour layover. I don't remember all the details, but I just know that the boys were like, hey, let's walk backwards on these walkways. And we had to be careful because, you know, if people needed it, we, we'd get in the way. But so we started walking backwards on, and it was fun, you know, like you have to run because if you, if you don't move, you'll just end up going, you know, the other way. And that's kind of how I imagine backsliding. It's like being on a airport walkway, a moving walkway, and you're going in the opposite direction of the moving walkway. And if you don't do anything, you'll automatically go backward from your intended destination. It doesn't take anything for us to backslide. You just don't have any devotions, don't pray, don't come to church, and before you know it, you're like, how did I end up here? Because that's just how it is. Backsliding is like, it is, it is just in our nature to be at odds with God. Isn't that true? It's just in our nature. And God says, look, come, just, just look. I don't care what you've done. Just come to me. And I will heal you. I'll fix you. I'll, I'll make you whole again. I'll bring you happiness. I'll bring you joy. I'll bring you peace. Friends, Jeremiah 3 is a reminder of God's tender love. He loves us like a father. And, you know, I, I can tell you stories of everything that my father did for me. 
But if you have a father that that loved you and, and you know that, that's the best example that God could give perhaps of his care for us. Jeremiah 3 is a reminder that without God, life is aimless. It's just gray. There's no joy. There's no happiness. There's no fulfillment. Jeremiah 3 is an invitation that it doesn't matter what you've done. You can come home. God doesn't care. He says, just come. And Jeremiah 3 is a reminder that God can heal all of our chronic problems. You know, in the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, the author pens these words. He says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. I think all of us, we can say that we're prone to go away from God. It's backsliding is natural for us. But through Jeremiah 3, God is inviting us. He's saying, look, come home. I, I don't care. The white ribbon is there. It's waiting for you. It's telling you that I don't care what you've done. But if you come, I'll fix it. I'll make it better. And friends, I want to take up that invitation that Jesus offers to us today. How about you? Don't you want to tell him, Lord, I'm coming home. I, I'm unhappy without you. I'm unsatisfied and I'm unfulfilled. But with you, I know that I'll find peace and joy again. Let's come home to Jesus. Friends, would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for the book of Jeremiah that gives us hope despite what we may have done. And my prayer, especially for this church and for everyone watching it, is that we might not have that weeping in the high places, that we would truly turn from sin and find the joy, the happiness in those living fountains that quench that thirst so inherent to humankind. Help us, Heavenly Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.